Welcome to the Pactum, where we not only like theological Latin, we like to make up Latin words. We do love like to make responsum. Responsum. Today is a Pactum responsum <laughs> episode where we respond to theological questions. It's episode 159. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes, and we are about to do another Pactum responsum. Yeah, we've asked for your listener questions, emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. We say that every episode in Every so often, we get some listener questions, so we've piled up about, I think, 10 or so of these questions uh, that we've been receiving, and we're going to walk our way through them in the episode today. And we wonder if there perhaps might be a question, or maybe even two, that some of you in the Pactum verse could answer better than we can. Hey, it's, there might it's be. It's not probable, It's but we want you to listen, <laughs> so you should keep listening for what it's worth. Uh, and the fun thing to do when you're listening to a Pactum Responsum episode is listen to the question, hit pause, get your answer, and then listen and see. This is Compare. a test of yeah. the emergency broadcast system yeah. <laughs> in the event of a real emergency. Yes. I, yeah, we have 10 or so questions. Uh, we'll see how it goes, how long we take, and uh, keep things moving. We do have a Pactum conference coming up. Registration we do. is open. Registration is open for the Pactum conference in October here yeah, in Omaha, Nebraska. Speaker, We've got people signing up. So, it's pretty cool. It is awesome. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The speakers are going to be John Fesco, David Van Drunen, Mike Abendroth, Pat Abendroth, and we are talking about God's good law. Yeah. The last conference in 2023 was uh, exceeded our expectations. It really did, yeah. And uh, so looking forward to another great one. We're adding a special session for pastors, a uh, pastor's lunch, and we'll also do a seminar on preaching, sharpening your preaching skills. Uh, Dr. Mike Abendroth is doing that one. <laughs> the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a great time. Uh, it is. And like we've mentioned before, the last one, and this one the same way, it's not for pastors, but so many pastors come and bring people from their churches. Yeah. We thought we would do something special. The Pactum Conference 2024. Yeah. What's, can, the, what's the date for that? You know, it's in October. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were over the there. Top of my head. I thought you were over there pulling it up on your computer, and I was buying time. You know, it is funny. I don't know why I can't figure out when the conference is. It's our it. conference, and I can't even figure out what the dates are for it every uh, time. I thought for sure I was looking across the the amazing Pactum. It's October eleventh and twelfth. Okay. You can go to the Pactum.org and find those dates if you don't know them either, and uh, they're there for you. You click on the top on conference. All good information for you about the conference. Got the schedule. Got speakers location, all that kind of stuff. Registration information. We do have early bird registration going right now up until July, $40. Get yourself signed up. We'd love to have you join us. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So let's get started with these 10 or so questions that we have from our listeners. We're going to start with a question from Michael. Uh, This question is, if all our good works are as filthy rags in God's sight, and it is only the robes of Christ's righteousness which cover us on Judgment Day, then in what sense do we lay up treasures in heaven by our good works? Okay. So far, so good. It's a good question. Um, In what sense do we do that? Well, if you just take a gander, take a look (laughs) at where those texts are that speak about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, For example, Matthew 19 or Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Luke 18, 22, uh, it's Jesus speaking, Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Hmm. 
So the context reveals a lot. And what it reveals is he is actually talking about eternal life. So this business of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, at least according to the way Jesus uses that, he's talking about how to gain heaven, how to gain a place in heaven. And so he's not talking to Christians even. He's talking to people who are not even Christians. Hmm. So if we look at the context, getting back to the Matthew 19 text, it says in verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? See, that's eternal life. And he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Hmm. So the matter at hand is how do we gain eternal life and lay up slash in other words, i.e. that would be having, you know, um, goods laid up in heaven. Right. Yeah. And uh, Jesus tells him how he can have treasure in heaven. The way he can have treasure in heaven is to do perfect. Yeah. Love be God, perfect. love neighbor. So that that's the context. That's what's going on there. So the way to have. Uh, treasure in heaven is by being perfect or by trusting in the perfect one. Mm, it's law yeah. so we can understand what the gospel is. So the treasure is actually heaven itself or being a citizen of heaven itself. Mm, it's eternal yeah. life gaining heaven itself. So sometimes people don't think of it in those terms. And the question really wasn't worded in such terms. Um, but I think that might help us to actually look at those texts. Yeah. Our listener, Mike, Michael, also asks about whether or not there will be degrees of punishment yeah, in hell. Yeah. It does seem to be the case based upon what Jesus says just earlier in Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, when he says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And he's talking about people who witnessed his miracles, witnessed supernatural things. Uh, more revelation means more accountability, we would say. And so it does seem to be the case. Hmm. Maybe before we say anything else or move on to the next one, Mike, let's recommend that book yeah, that we so. like so much about treasure in heaven. Yeah, we have a book that we would recommend to you. I think we've recommended it here on the Pactum before, More Than Heaven, A Biblical Theological Argument for a Federal View of Glorification uh, by Jeff Taylor. So we Jeff recommend Jeff Taylor, that to shout out to you, Jeff, member of the Pactum verse. Yes. It is an excellent excellent book. Yeah. I just saw somebody online excited about it just the other day. I think it's kind of making the rounds. And so I'm happy for Jeff, but I'm even more happy for people who can figure out that ultimately, uh, if you're an heir, yeah. if Christ is your savior, you you are united to Christ by faith, you have everything. So mm. it's not going to be a matter, even as you didn't read all the question, uh, but as the listener, Michael asks, you know, what about the mansions? What yeah, about right. the 40 bedroom right. spots yeah. in heaven? And are we going to be mad because somebody else has more than we have? And it seems like if you're an heir, uh, everything is in Christ and you're in Christ and therefore you can't be more... You can't have greater airship. Right. Yeah. I just like to say airship. Airship. There's degrees of airship. Airship <laughs> coffee in Bentonville, Arkansas oh. is where we like to get some coffee now. There you then. go. When we're riding the trails. Riding the trails. Airship. Yeah. Spelled differently. That's, yeah. Without an H on the front of it. <laughs> so I think a lot of people have missed this. They have not thought through, and as uh, Jeff Taylor talks about, a federal view of glorification. Yeah. Right. So... They're, they're, we're not going to be, oh, no, I wish I – I'm. We're, what we're not going to do is what Charles Stanley said. Mm. Uh, sorry, um, but Charles Stanley said there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven, in heaven because yeah. you didn't do enough good works to be right. an insider. Yeah. How about 
everybody who's in Christ is an heir. Right. Yeah. He knows better now. For sure. Okay. Okay. Next question comes to us from Jim. Jim has written into the Pactum before asking about Finney and uh, invitations in the church. Hey, Jim, uh, we don't like Finney. Yeah. Just so you know. Let's not bring him up again, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, Jim has another question for us. Uh, he's been wrestling with Luke 16, and he says it's the only place in the Bible uh, that he finds referring to Abraham's bosom. Uh, and he says it's in what I think a parable. The term Abraham's bosom is used in extra-biblical texts uh, and other rabbinical writings and seems to mirror Greek mythology a lot. Um, and he says, I don't see the purpose in pre-resurrection believers being put into a, quote, holding take or limbo or basically purgatory, even if Abraham is mentioned. So the question is, is the account of Lazarus and the rich man a parable? Uh, what's the point Christ is making in presenting this story? Uh, was there... Uh, Abraham's bosom in Sheol that looked across to hell? And if so, why was it there? Why did they want to wait for the resurrection? What other scripture can you give to back this up? Basically, Jim says, hey, Luke 16, help me out. <laughs> What's the dealio with <laughs> yeah. Luke 16? Right. Jim, you say holding take. And so do you mean holding tank? tank? Or do you mean holding take? Because I've learned that even though it seems to me like it should be holding tank, it might be holding take. It could be. I went to public school, and not only that, I've been using Grammarly lately, and apparently I need to use a lot more commas in my writing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm learning a lot of so things. So prepositional phrases at the beginning of a sentence. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just having I'm having a time of it with old good old I – pay, I paid – you know, this AI thing, $75 a year. You're letting the bots take over your computer. I know. It's kind of, it's messing me up. They're in so. the Pactum verse now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's holding take. I'm not sure. But Somebody way, enlighten us. Yeah. But generally speaking, I'd have to say right from the start, even in the way you pose your question, Jim, I think we might be playing on the same team. Hmm. So... <laughs> So with that said, let's respond by acknowledging that he is in Hades. He's in the place of the dead. Uh, he's in a place of torment and he is far from Abraham. Obviously, Abraham is the good, you know, he's in the good place because he's been justified by grace through faith, mm -hmm. ultimately in Christ alone, right. read Romans chapter four. So Abraham's where you want to be, uh, but the rich man is not where you'd want to be. So that's the problem. That's, it's disastrous. Um, and if you were hearing Jesus speak and we're reading Jesus words, it, it, it gets your attention. Mm. It, it's not the way the story's supposed to go. You'd think rich place of honor, place of privilege. Mm, yeah. And what in the world is he doing? Suffering. He shouldn't be suffering. Something is not right. Sort of like the three uh, little wolves and the big bad pig. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's a shocker. This, this is not how the story goes. Right. It's not supposed to be going like this. Something seems wrong and Jesus wants to get people. It wants to, Jesus wants to get people's attention to make a point about eternal life mm. and about eternity. So I think, I think the main aim is the need for even the Pharisees, the people who are famous for being supposedly righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're the ones who are for sure close to God. They are the ones who are for sure going to gain eternal life. Uh, but the main aim here, I think, according to this parable, if it is a parable, uh, is to show the Pharisees need to repent. Mm. Uh, the wealthy and religious people don't seem to like the people to be like the people who have a need, but they are in fact, the people who have a need. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I say repent because, uh, yeah, actually in the text in, uh, verse 30, it says they will repent if you send someone back from the dead 
is how he's thinking. And that's obviously what is in, in need is repentance. Also in chapter 15, verse 7, before we get to this account, he talks about repentance. So I think we're trying to get people, if you will, from a human perspective to see their need so that they repent. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, is it a parable? Um, I kind of don't care if it is or if it isn't. <laughs> it is in Simon Kistemacher's book uh, that is a good, credible book on parables. And so that makes me think that it probably is a parable. But I know there are some arguments that argue against it being a parable. Mm. Um, like using personal names and things like that. I get it. I get the arguments. But when I preached through Luke, I said, if it is a parable, it doesn't doesn't really matter that much. Right. Yeah, yeah. So regardless, here's what it is. It is a story designed to make a point about the need to repent and therefore, obviously, to trust in Christ. Right. So how about that? For um, a general answer, let's also, uh, I would also say that I agree with you. I don't think Old Testament saints had to wait in some kind of holding take (laughs) or holding tank. Uh, I don't think that. I know lots of Christians have thought that and do think that. So when Moses and Elijah were at the transfiguration, I don't think they wanted to be there, but they couldn't be there because they were... um, in a compartment of hell right. waiting. Right, I think yeah. they were there in spirit and in truth <laughs> <laughs> at the Mount of Transfiguration, as it says in Matthew seventeen three. That would just be one like quick little kind of argument. So as far as mythological stories and it sounding like other mythological stories, I know that's not a major part of your question uh, here, Jim, but I would want to say it's it's not alarming to me at all when things sound uh, similar to other stories or other accounts or other writings, uh, or even they sound like mythological stories because the fact of the matter is God made the world and he made human beings. And so it makes sense that people draw lots of similar conclusions. Yes. Yeah. That things don't uh, don't always work the way you think they're supposed to work mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, because again, God made us, God made the world, God gave natural law. And so lots of people, even unbelievers, people from other religions will draw to a degree, let's say reasonable conclusions, but we would always say they will never come to the right conclusion about Christ and the gospel apart from special revelation. Yeah. But similarities, absolutely. And that would only make sense. And so I'm intrigued when atheists think that somehow similarities undercut Christianity. And I say, oh, no, they don't undercut Christianity. As a matter of fact, they just support the fact that God made them Mm. (laughs) and he made the world. Yeah. All right. Next question comes to us from Vlad. He's been listening for a while on Spotify, which, you know, we are on a lot of different platforms. You can find the Pactum. And on each of those platforms, there's usually a way to give us a little thumbs up, a little five-star rating. You can give us a thumbs up or a five-star rating just because it helps other listeners find the Pactum. So we'd encourage you to do that. Uh, Vlad writes that uh, he has some questions about John Piper. He knows we've mentioned Piper on previous episodes Mm -hmm. because of his views on justification. And he wants a little clarity, uh, also asking recently about uh, the book that he finished by Piper titled What is Saving Faith? That's a book that Piper wrote, came out in 2022. He said he really enjoyed the book, thought it was great. Thought he had some great arguments. Uh, He didn't really see a lot of disagreements he would have with John Piper on any of his points. And so he was just wondering if uh, we could help him out a little bit, see if we've read it, had any critiques of it, and things that uh, we would want our Pactinverse listeners to be looking out for in reading John Piper and specifically what is saving faith. 
One great resource, Vlad, would be Harrison Perkins' article that he wrote. Uh, it's posted at the Gospel Coalition. We can link to it in our show notes. Yes, yeah. Harrison is a member of the Pactum Verse, and uh, he did a really nice job and a thoughtful job responding to that book. And he says things like this uh, regarding the Reformed heritage. He says his claim that its traditional description of faith as knowledge, assent, and trust is inadequate, needing to be supplemented with this affectional dimension unsurprisingly prompts resistance. So do notice that Harrison is pointing out the fact that, yes, uh, the traditional way of describing faith would be knowledge, assent, and trust. Piper thinks there needs to be something else. Uh, and so somehow it has to do with our affections. Yeah. Uh, and so Harrison's like, yeah, no one, it's no wonder you've gotten pushback from people who are traditionally reformed because you're, you're not speaking in traditionally reformed, reformed ways. Yeah, yeah, right. And this has been no, it's not like this just became an, uh, point of, you know, debate and interest, you know, yesterday or in 2022, yeah. this is actually a really important issue. And it's a really important issue to the reformation because we're dealing with whether or not uh, justification is by grace alone through faith alone. And if it is, if it is through faith alone, what is faith? Is faith faithfulness? Is a, is faith somehow um, obedience? Uh, what is it? So Keep that in mind. We always like to mention on the Pactum that Romans 4, 5 says uh, that it is not the one who works, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Mm. And that's important because if you think in terms of that's faith that is not a godly faith. Right. Yeah. That, that's not a, a faithful faith. That's not a faith that is somehow filled with a lot of good, a lot of, how about love? Right. A lot of affection. Um, yeah. A lot of affection. Um, that person is still in a state of ungodliness. So it makes sense then that the faith is going to be knowledge. It's going to be assent and it is going to be trust. Yes. Right. Yeah. So if somehow faith is defined as something good, uh, as far as, you know, uh, the, it's this good quality, this affection, it's really passionate, zealous, Loving, which, by the way, is a law category, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yep, yep. that we should have kind of our, our alarms going off. So Harrison goes on to say this, because of Piper's definition of acts of faith as constitutive aspects of faith, rather than its effects or results, mm. very few, if any, of his historical citations support his point. Certainly they include his phrases, but they usually discuss affection or excuse me, affectional acts of faith as the, this is the key word results of faith. Right. The major and expected exception is Jonathan Edwards, whose view of faith, no doubt stands behind Piper's approach to this issue. Edwards believed that love is at the heart of faith, that even faith or a steadfastly believing the truth arises from a principle of love. Hmm. And there's, for good reason, people who, you know, regardless of some of the good things Edwards said, have real problems with his views regarding justification, because it's not the historic reform perspective of faith. It's somehow a faithful faith. Right. Yeah. Somehow it's a loving faith. And so uh, it's, it's, it's not very helpful. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's pushback. Um, J.V. Fesco has written a helpful article in the uh, Reformed Theological Seminary's journal. We'll put a link to that as well. Yep. It's called A Historic, Historical Theological Response to John Piper's What is Saving Faith. Yep. Yep. That would be good. Um, check that out. 
also just when you when you deal with John Piper and I've learned a lot of things from John Piper and I've appreciated things mm-hmm. I remember when I read the book about missions it was so very helpful and about the glory of God yeah, yeah. it's been a long time since I've read it but so not trying to be you know Mr. Negative here but he has historically he's rejected the covenant of works and kind of poked fun at it he did so in his forward to the book the unity of the bible by dan fuller and here on the pactum if you've listened long enough you know that typically when when we talk about the covenant of works and why it's so important because when you do, when you when you fudge on the covenant of works and you don't have a robust category for covenant of works what inevitably ends up happening is somehow it's not sola fide somehow it's faith plus works or in this case it's some kind of redefinition of faith mm. and it's some kind of faithfulness um, so there's that also there, there's a history. And again, we're all learning and growing if we're Christians and we think that's true of John Piper, but there is a history there of endorsing, even if he himself hasn't said it, endorsing books that are very, very awful books. To be quite honest, I have another one here in my hand and it's called gospel and law. And, um, it, it makes a mess out of the classic Protestant reform distinctions between law and gospel, covenant of works, covenant of grace. And in the endorsement on the back, John Piper says, it would be no accident, therefore, if gospel and law changed lives as it has mine, as well as hermeneutical systems. Hmm. So that's why we're not big fans of the writings of John Piper uh, on the pactum because of these issues related to law and gospel and basic Protestantism. Awesome. We'll make sure to link to those uh, resources in the show notes. We'll do that throughout the episode. We'll mention the resources, but we'll make sure to link to all those so you can get your hands on those and read through them for yourself. Next question comes to us from Trevor, who's been listening for a few months, uh, and it's been uh, good for him. The Pactum has been helping him along this crazy journey. He's crazy been on, journey. Theologically. I, I, good job, Trevor, for not right? saying crazy love journey. <laughs> um. <laughs> he had never heard of covenant theology, law, gospel distinctions, London Baptist Confession of Faith, things like that. He's been Calvinist in his theology for the past five years, uh, but now he can't get enough of this stuff. One uh, point been... for each of five years. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'll been, stop interrupting Mike Grimes. Real, this is a long one. All right, give me a chance. I like he's, been, he's been edified uh, by all the things he's been learning. Uh, he's been a worship director at his church, which is a non-denominational Baptist slash Reformed leaning church. And uh, the church has elders, which he loves that it's been governed and ruled by elders. But he's been feeling a burden uh, for the church. And uh, these things that he's learning are really having him begun to have this burden for the church and the leaders there. And he's developing a heart for teaching. Uh, he came across uh, your Theology for Breakfast ministry that you do, Pat, here at Omaha Bible Church. And he's thinks that's fantastic, would love to do something like that in his church. And he's saying that their doctrinal statement is pretty basic for the most part, and he's not sure where his elders kind of fall on certain theological issues and a lot of these things. Uh, not a, you know, a lot of seminary training has happened there. Um, anyway, what he gets down to is uh, he would love to benefit his church, encourage his elders and those he serves with with something like a theology for breakfast, but he's not really sure exactly how to go about doing those things. Uh, he's seen from your ministry, path that you've gone through some books dealing with things like covenant works, covenant theology, amillennialism, all these kinds of different things. But he's asking, what is some advice that you could give to someone in the Pactum verse to maybe a, a leader in their church, an elder, a pastor, as they're trying to navigate through these waters with some of their fellow leaders in the church? Um, how can they go about encouraging those they're serving with in kind of leading them along in some of the things they're even learning? Trevor, 
This is one of my favorite things to talk about because it is so beneficial and helpful in the life of the church. Yeah. I was just saying this morning to someone that I'm fully convinced that the church here where we're pastors is so much stronger and more stable and mature because of Theology for Breakfast mm. and doing things like it. Yeah. So um, start by you know loving and respecting your elders and praying for them and being humble, being patient with them. Uh, the Lord is so patient and kind to us. We want to show that patience toward other people. And then what I would do is prayerfully consider some basic things you could start reading um, and discussing. And maybe you start on an elder level or you start a class. You can call it Theology for Breakfast. It's not trademarked. So <laughs> you can do that. Um, and, and go for the basics, you know, go for things that are of first importance, like the gospel. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, people can't agree on the gospel, then it is what it is, yeah. you know? So go, go for that kind of low lying fruit, things that everybody should be able, able to agree with. And the format for our class, uh, classes would typically be, uh, that everyone would read the chapter that's been assigned and come prepared to be able to dialogue, answer questions. And I'll be honest, it's a lot easier for me. I've been at the church here for 25 years and it's a lot easier for me now than it would have been year one. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, we're, we don't just get together for ignorance pooling. Somebody yeah, right, needs to right. be the, the lead cat herder. And I count myself <laughs> gifted and able to be the lead cat herder. So I, I bring the questions. I have about 10 or 15 questions, put them up on the board, put them up on the screen. And they all are somehow related to the reading. And uh, I have strong convictions about almost every answer to every question. But I'm just posing the questions and chiming in and helping. And right. uh, so early on, it would have been hard for me if somebody would have given some kind of crazy, mm, you know, yeah. wild-eyed monkey doodle kind of <laughs> response. <laughs> We've had those. Sure. But we don't get have very many of those anymore. And I like to say to the guys who come, and this is a men's group just because it's a men's group. It doesn't need to be. But, you know, this is a safe place to be able to to you know, float your ideas. Um, thankfully, the guys now, you know, are much better of, uh, at, at posing things as questions when it's risky. Sure. Yeah. Would it be right to conclude that? <laughs> no, so, it would not. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit easier that way. Right. Yeah. But somebody knows the answers to the question. Somebody studies and works hard and is prepared and they kind of lead the discussion. Right. And uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful way to go. That's kind of our format. And my advice to you would be, as you choose something that everybody should be able to agree with, and if they can't, then, you know, that's kind of how it's going to be. Yeah. You know, choose someone that maybe everybody could get behind as far as a trusted author, someone mm -hmm. who's familiar, someone like Jerry Bridges is a good one because a lot of, you know, what, what's not to like about the Navigators mm. and Nav Press <laughs> and Jerry Bridges, who's in heaven now, was, you know, he was a kind old gentleman even 35 years ago right. <laughs> when yeah. I heard him speak for the first time. Yeah. So especially his later books are more gospel centric and more explicit. Yeah. He himself even said such things. So maybe find a good Jerry Bridges book, and that's a good place to start. Uh, if people, another, you know, another one would be, you know, and we, we did Calvin's Institutes. I was once told that if you have not read at least a, what was it? A hundred pages of the Institutes, you're not a real theologian. <laughs> and so I kind of thought um, it, in those terms. And so we read a very ab uh, edited down, abridged version of the Institutes. There's one by Lane and Osborne mm. that... You know, it's kind of ridiculously edited down, 
but it gives you a taste and it's a good taste. And I think the people in the class appreciated saying, you know, I might not, you know, love John Calvin even. Most of them do, yeah. <laughs> but, but at least I can say I've read the institutes. Yeah, right. So that's a good one as well. Um, you know, Machen just had the 100 year anniversary for Christianity and liberalism. That's an also a good one that that people you know I seem to really enjoy. Yeah, right. There's that. Um, not as many. You know, Mike Horton's book was the first book we ever did uh, in 2005, I think, Christless Christianity. Hmm. And that's also another good one. Maybe less people are familiar, familiar with him, but that's one of my very favorite books. And again, it's gospel, low-lying fruit. Start there um, and see how it goes. And, and, and in so many ways, you can just go from there. So we're reading a book on amillennialism right now. That never, yeah, ever, right, ever right. would have happened. Our church wouldn't have been ready for it. Um, but I, I, you know, and I even posed it as I've read at least a hundred books on premillennialism in my life. It's probably good to read some on, you know, other views. Right. <laughs> and so we're having a good conversation of it, but you have to do what your church is ready for at the time. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, and I'm sure your church is ready to discuss my book, Covenant Theology. <laughs> <laughs> so, and as long as you order a nice. hundred copies, we'll keep answering your questions. No, oh, that's I, funny. In all, in all seriousness, they probably aren't. Uh, would just be a, a common guess. Perhaps sure. they are. Yeah. So be wise um, because we're trying to help people. We're trying to help bring them along. We're, we're being patient. Patience is good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and a lot, and in a lot of ways, the pactum is the fruit of theology for breakfast because it's the same kind of thing. We talk about these same issues, these mm-hmm. same matters. Oh, there's that. Maybe another book we could recommend would be the one that's for free right now. We'll maybe recommend it to another one of these listeners. Um, mm. The book by Cahoon, yeah. um, a treatise on law and gospel. A treatise on law and the gospel. Head over yeah. to Reformation Heritage Books, and you can get a paperback copy for free. Yeah, for sure. So maybe you could discuss that. Maybe they're not quite ready for law and gospel, though. I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, this next question comes to us from Thomas, and he asks, "What is the extent of the Holy Spirit's guidance in reading and interpreting Scripture in light of studying hermeneutics?" In other words. Why do we need to study hermeneutics? Also, do you have any recommendations on hermeneutics books to help me study and understand scripture in light of redemptive, historical, and law gospel distinction? Thomas, let's say it's probably a both and answer, not an either or. Hmm. Um, And you're not posing it as an either or, so don't get me wrong. But the Holy Spirit does lead us and guide us, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, we also, when even when we just read Jesus and how he and how he interprets the Old Testament, mm. we're having modeled for us hermeneutics, and so um, we we do both of those things. We don't say I don't need to read what Jesus has to say <laughs> because I have the Holy Spirit. Right, right. I don't need the second person of the Godhead. I have the third. <laughs> so we do both of these things. So there is that to consider, but in addition to that, consider the fact that we're not the first Christians. There have been Christians who've come before us, and they haven't always agreed on the meaning of texts and how to interpret texts, Mm -hmm. and so they have debated and they've argued, and sometimes they fought over the best way to interpret the Bible. So hermeneutics, the science and art of Bible interpretation— And uh, we're not the first ones to the party. So what we would want to do is say, yes, God, use your spirit in me to better understand your word and also allow me to have enough humility to pay attention to how the Holy Spirit has worked um, throughout the ages, even before me, when it comes to understanding how to interpret the Bible. Mm, Yeah. 
So we don't want to commit what Lewis called chronological snobbery <laughs> because uh, that would be a, a, a different kind of denial of the Spirit's work. Sure, yeah. So we want to affirm the Spirit's work in our own personal lives, uh, but we also want to affirm the Spirit's work in the lives of others who have gone before us. Right. So let's think of it in those terms, and I think that's probably what you're trying to do, Thomas. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking for recommendations for hermeneutics, hermeneutics books. And I love it that you're saying to understand understand Scripture in light of redemptive historical yeah, and yeah. law and gospel distinctions. Yeah. You are talking our talk, yes, speaking our good. language. So how about if we... Oh, maybe one other thing would be when you study hermeneutics, you're, uh, oh, things are pointed out to you like Proverbs. Uh, oh, Proverbs would be wisdom, wisdom literature. I didn't, you know, for the first year of my Christian life, I just kind of thought the Bible was all to be read the same way. Right, right. And so you yeah. hear in Proverbs that if you do all of these things, your life will be good. Yeah. And then you find out that I did all those things and my life is bad. <laughs> right. So that's because it's wisdom literature and that's how Proverbs works. Right. Yeah. They're general truisms, uh, but they're not necessarily promises. That's really good and really healthy to learn such things like that. Or if you're studying Acts and it's a historical narrative, it's um, – it's describing what happened truthfully, but it's not mandating that these things always happen in everyone's life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that. You learn principles of biblical interpretation by Lewis Burkhoff would be one that seems to be popular with the kids these days. There you go. So you could check that one out as a good introduction. Also, Dennis Johnson has uh, a series of different books. Not a, They're not in a series, but he's written numerous books that have to do with hermeneutics. Uh, from the academic down to the much more simple to understand, there's that one called Walking with Jesus Through His Word. That would be a good one. Uh, and he does a great job, thoughtful job. Uh, that might be a good place to actually even start by reading some of the things that he's written. Yeah, for sure. One thing I would do is I would point you away from, uh, Thomas, I would point you away from hermeneutics books or teachers that say you're you're not allowed to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Mm, yeah. And that kind of is trendy uh, in recent days. So Christians have typically throughout the ages said, since we believe in one divine author and he has a plan and a purpose, uh, he has a decree and it centers on his son, the Lord Jesus. He has the power to do this because he's sovereign. And it started uh, before the foundation of the world, if you will, as far as in the purposes of God, in the decree of God, and it will center on his son. So we know all of history is heading toward that. We want to do it that way. One divine author, one that way it all holds together and it's all united. Yes, there are different human authors that have different styles and things like that. But yeah. ultimately, one divine author. So it's okay, Thomas, to interpret the old in light of the new. In fact, it's important. Yep. And it's also okay and important to interpret the new in light of the old. That's the way it should be done. So keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. Now the question comes to us from Eric. Eric says a thought occurred to him as he was listening to the 100th episode on the law and gospel distinction. And he said, if we can, for the most part, boil down law to imperatives and gospel to indicatives, where does that leave? Mark 1, 14 through 15, it says. Now, after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Eric says, it's a command to be obeyed, right? So does that mean that the command to believe the gospel is law? And he says, that makes my brain hurt, but in a good way. 
Thanks for the time. Keep up the great work. Thanks for the emojis, Eric. <laughs> there were emojis. I didn't know Thanks how to relay for those. The emojis. <laughs> I I almost opened up the episode today by trying to explain a meme. And oh yeah. I thought that's kind of the whole point. You don't try right, to explain, you don't explain memes. it. Yeah, you just see it. And... I said, sorry, can't do it. Not going to happen. <laughs> but it was that one where I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, so I, I'm with those who, and, and with you, Eric, to suggest that, you know, indicatives and imperatives, I think generally speaking, that's a good way to think of law and gospel. Right. So I'm not disagreeing, mm-hmm. but there are those pesky exceptions. So the way other people have approached this, and so we're just going to, we're going to channel Casper uh, Olivianus, mm. 1536 to 1587. <laughs> and uh, we're going to channel, channel good old Casper. Yeah. Uh, via the Heidelcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we've 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 tapped on them before, or or uh, asked for help from them before. So, how about the fact that he treated the imperative to believe as a gospel imperative? Mm, yeah. Yep. So it's a gospel imperative, whereas the command to repent uh, is not a gospel imperative. Um, that's a legal imperative. It's a law imperative. Is that the word he uses? Yes, because yes, it has yes. to do with your to sin. To repent as an expression of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, so one has to do with your sin, and the other one has to do with the work of Christ. And so, I think that's pretty good theological nuancing. So, faith looks to Christ and His obedience for us. That's Heidelblog. Um, and repentance uh, looks at, considers our sin and our need to turn away from it. So. Yep. We can link to that as well. Yeah. I'm glad you're thinking about this, and I hope you're encouraged by the fact that you're not the first one to ever think about it. Yes. These are important matters. Hey, Mike. Hey, hey what? <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Okay. So I have to confess that I don't normally use Spotify on my iPhone. Um, oh, okay. But I usually use iTunes. I realize that might not be cool. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know which one's cool. But I've been using iTunes, and I, lo- I downloaded the Spotify app today because I just wanted to check it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pulled up the Pactum because that, as you do. As you do. As you one does. Spotify, you go and so I thought, oh, another chance to give five stars because that's what all cool members of the Pactumverse do. And oh, I yeah. wanted to fit in with all the cool members of the Pactumverse. Naturally. And it wouldn't let me do it. Any, what? Any, I, I put five stars with my thumb and uh, wouldn't let me do it. And then when I put one star, it would, it said I could do that no. or two or three or four, but I couldn't give five. Do I need to like log in or something? Is it the secret thing? I don't know. I'm going to try it. I'm rating the show right now. I'm, it's let me give it five. Oh, okay. Well, I guess, you know what? Maybe on that note, we have more <laughs> questions and we'll do another pact and response them. But on that note, since I didn't get my question answered, I'm bitter and I'm going to take my iPhone and iTunes and, uh, Go pound sand, I guess. (laughs) We want to thank all of you for being a part of the Pactumverse. And if you have questions you'd like to submit for future Pactum Responsum episodes, we would love to answer those and talk about them on an episode. You can email us, connect at thepactum.org. You can also find us on Twitter, at the Pactum, on Instagram, at the Pactum Theology. Don't forget, go to the website, thepactum.org. Find those dates for the conference, October 11th (laughs) and 12th here in Omaha, Nebraska. We hope to see you there. We'll see you next time on The Pactum.